0: as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity now to open the truth of your word as we've celebrated worship, Lord, and singing praises to your name and these baptisms. Father, now we turn our attention to the truth of your word. Challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, and through the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, if you'll look in the seat in front of where you're sitting, that black hardbound book is a Bible. We're on page 1002. That's Hebrews chapter 4. As you're finding Hebrews 4, I want to explain to you kind of what's going on down here. Really, this whole section in all of these shirts and all these students. This, if you don't already know, was D Now Weekend. A Disciple Now Weekend. A Disciple Now Weekend is an opportunity for the students, really, of our county and a lot of the local churches participated from sixth grade to 12th grade, starting Friday about five o'clock after school, all that evening, all day Saturday, until this morning, right now, was kind of a whirlwind of activity. They did worship together, they did small group activities together, they had recreation time together. They had a one-on-one. Every one of these kids had a one-on-one with a leader about their salvation and about their walk in Christ. What a a neat, neat opportunity for these students and for this uh, church. And so I wanted to give you just a couple numbers just so you'll be aware. 135 Rosemont students participated. That's a lot of kids. 135 students participated. Over 400 from Troop County combined all the churches together. Rosemont had 15 host homes, 20 small group leaders, Countless volunteers, a lot of college students that came home for the weekend to drive. A lot of people helped cook, clean. Uh, Just a a lot of activity, a lot of people involved. And so, let me just say thank you. If you were involved on any level with D now, uh, let's just thank all these kids and especially these workers that made this happen this week. Fantastic, fantastic weekend. Amy and I, Amy and I, had the great privilege of having sixth grade boys in our home. What a blessing. Uh, loved them, they're a lot they really are a lot of fun i'm I'm running on fumes, so if I nod off during the sermon, uh, feel free to come wake me up and I'll just continue. It's a great fun weekend, exciting. We're going to continue our study of of Hebrews, and I thought it was kind of interesting how the Lord works this out. Uh, Because we've been talking about how Jesus is greater. That's been our theme the last several weeks, and we're just walking verse by verse through the book of Hebrews and trying to understand the greatness of Christ, really, and how that affects our lives and how we should live based on that truth. And we've been talking about how he's greater than the angels and the Old Testament prophets, and he's greater than our sin, and even greater than death but it's interesting to me how the Lord kind of works things out and how he puts things in certain moments. And I didn't really plan it like this, but Hebrews chapter 4, where we're going to be this morning, is really about finding rest in the things of the Lord. How many of you guys need a little rest this morning? Anybody? Yes. Parents especially. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if your student's a little ornery today, go ahead and get ready for it. Okay? They didn't sleep much the last couple of days, very little in fact. And I thought it was kind of neat how the Lord just worked this out, where the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews just speaks about this idea of rest. And so we need rest and we need sleep, but I I want you to kind of wrap your mind around where we're going this morning. There's a deeper rest that we're going to get at this morning than just past sleep, right? Like we need sleep and it's good and naps and all the things we're going to probably do this afternoon, but there's a, a deeper rest found in the greatness of Christ, And I want you to see that this morning in his word. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. Just walk through it. We have it on the screen. You can follow along in the Bible as well. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, and he's looking back to chapter 3, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, right? There's that word rest. You're going to notice it a lot in this chapter. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now the writer of Hebrews is speaking of the Old Testament He's speaking of the children of Israel. He's talking about their unfaithfulness and how they failed to enter the rest of the Lord because they did not believe. And so we're going to draw truth out of this this morning and see how we can find rest in the things of the Lord. So the first truth I want you to see this morning, number one, is that we find rest in God's promise of eternity. We should rest in the truth and the hope and the promise that one day we will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. I heard a pastor years ago, he was actually a seminary professor of mine that I really liked, and he was preaching about heaven. And he made the comment that when he was younger, he kind of was sad a little bit and scared about heaven because he knew that once he went to heaven, he was going to miss out on a lot of things on earth. And he talked about he was younger and how he was going to miss out on on, uh, eventually getting married and children and fishing and all the things that he loves and baseball and he just talked for a little while about how as a kid he was concerned about all the things he was going to miss once he got to heaven and then he brought the sermon back around I'll I'll never forget how he did this he said listen I thought those things as a child because I had a complete misunderstanding of what heaven is going to really be like he said listen if we could really understand the glory of heaven we would all run there right now and never look back because it's glorious and it's beautiful and it's filled with hope and, and peace and joy. And so as believers, we rest in this promise that one day we will get there. But there's a, there's a danger here. And kind of wrapped into Hebrews 4 is another warning. And I want you to see this. I, I don't want you to leave here this morning missing this warning. Because we've already seen several examples in the book of Hebrews where the writer warns us about our faith. Like, be careful. Be alert. Right? There's, there's red flags waving. So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2, 1, it says, Therefore, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Right There's a danger. We have to be careful. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 4, which we're reading right now, says, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, watch, here's the, here's the danger, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, I just want to be very clear right here. I want to be very clear. I don't want you to miss this truth. The only way that we go to heaven, the only way we experience this promised rest in eternity with the Lord, is if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. I think there's some some confusion sometimes, and it seems to be especially uh, as people pass away, and and we always want to hope and pray that they've made it to heaven, but the scripture just warns us, listen, unless you've trusted in Christ, unless you've followed him, you're not going to enter that rest, right? And so it's interesting, in in chapter 4 of Hebrews, the word rest is found 10 different times, and that's significant. If you ever do Bible study or you're trying to understand what a text means and you're you're working through it, uh, word repetition matters, right? Especially significant words like rest. And when you find the word rest ten times in one chapter, you need to pause for a second and try to understand and figure out what's going on. So let me just define rest for you in case you don't know, just to be clear. Rest means to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. Right? When you rest, you go to sleep, or you lay down, or you veg out, or whatever you want to do to rest. Right? We understand rest, but when we think about rest from a scriptural standpoint, finding rest in the Lord is kind of deeper than that idea. When we rest in the Lord, what we're basically saying to him is, listen, Lord, I'm going to trust you with all things. I am going to stop working to make things better. I'm going to stop working to try to control everything. I'm going to stop working and try to fix everything on my own. Instead, we say to the Lord, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to find hope in you. You see the difference? There has to be this moment in our life where we say to the Lord, listen, I'm willing to give you this, whatever it is. I'm willing to allow you to work in this area. I'm willing to hand this over to you. I'm going to stop trying to figure it out myself. I'm going to stop trying to do it myself. I'm going to stop trying to make it work. You ever done the old deal where you say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And then two weeks later, we had not done anything about it. You just take it right back from him. You ever done that? (laughs) Hey, Lord, Lord, I gave you two weeks, dude. That's enough. You had not done anything with it. I'm just taking it on back and I'll handle it from this point. Thanks, but no thanks, right? When we rest in the Lord, we we find this place where we're going to trust Him and give to Him, right? But there's there's this place in our hearts where we long for the rest of Christ, isn't there? Where We long for His restfulness. This was a great weekend for us, and I know you guys had a blast and a lot of fun. From the parent side of it, there's you know, a little concern. We have to be careful and make sure things are safe and you have a lot of fun. And there's some kind of constraint to the weekend at least so we can kind of survive and make it to today. And so John did a schedule for us, which was great, did a really nice job. And the job of kind of the home groups and the leaders is to make sure that schedule works. And on the schedule, I looked when we first got it, and lights out Friday night, 1 a.m. That's what the schedule said. I'm like, that's really Saturday morning, John. You should have flipped it over to Saturday, 1 a.m. Turns out for us, 1 a.m. was a little bit early. It didn't quite work out like that for us. And so uh, at some point, uh, whatever it was, Friday night or Saturday morning, it really blurs together at this moment. It was probably 1, 1 1.30 in the morning. After the third or fourth time, I'd gotten up out of bed to pastorally remind the boys that we're trying to go to sleep. I finally said, listen, this is not working. I'm just gonna have to sit out kind of amongst them, right? And we kind of had to, we kind of devised this policy instead of everybody sleeping in the same room, which would have been chaotic, right? Because as soon as one guy makes a sound and you know what I'm talking about, everybody laughs, laughs and giggles, and 15 minutes later we're still we're still trying to calm them down. So we kind of divided and conquered, right? We put them in different rooms, and I decided I'm just gonna sit in the middle of the hallway. And I'll just read my Kindle until I don't hear anything, and then I'll try to go to bed. So at 2 in the morning, I'm out there, and a little head peeps, get in the bed, get in the bed. <laughs> Turn the light off, right? And these boys can attest. I was out there, because I heard them whispering, he's sitting out in the hall. I could hear him saying that, <laughs> which is, is exactly what I was doing. But I promise you, there was a morning, it's, uh, the lines are blurred at 2 in the morning, whatever. I longed for a nap, man, and I thought... Man, Sunday afternoon, after I've preached and kind of done my stuff and maybe eaten lunch, I'm just looking forward to that moment when I can just crash, right? Where I can turn off my phone, parents, right? You've been looking to that too, and just relax, right? And that's a, that's a silly, funny little example. But listen, as believers, something within our heart ought to lead us to this place that we're hopeful of the rest we find in Christ. Like we should be longing for that. Like, I should long for the rest I find in Christ and that eternal rest, much more so than I'm longing for the nap that I'm going to get this afternoon. As believers, we come to this place where we just find hope in that, and we find peace in that, and we just rest in His promises. We rest in His eternity. Now look at what it says in verse 4. Let's continue. We're going we're to bring this closer and closer to home here, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of in the seventh day in this way. It says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This is the word again, rested. And again, this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. There's the warning again, right? Not everybody's going to go. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David... So long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, the warning, verse 8 For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, here it is, verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so there's this long term hope as believers. Looking for that eternal perspective. Resting in the eternal promises of the Lord. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning. We find rest in God's Sabbath. We find rest... And God's Sabbath, and so there's kind of two ideas taking place in verse four here, and and kind of scholars would use this interesting phrase. Maybe you've seen it before: the already and not yet. That's kind of the way they think about the things of the Lord. There, there's the uh, there's the the not yet that's going to happen one day, right? This eternal hope It's not here yet. But there's the already that's going on right now. There's the already and the not yet. So the already is the hope that we find in Jesus now. right? We're looking for that eternity one day. We'll get there. We long for that rest, that eternal rest in the future somewhere. But there's also a present rest. Like There's the idea, and some of y'all need to hear this. There's this idea that through Christ, you can have rest now. You ever met the person, or, or maybe you are the person, where, where things look good on the outside and you're, you're well put together and you say all the right things and everybody just looking in would think everything's great, but inside it's just chaotic and it's just a turmoil and you're just bubbling up and you're having all these problems and there's all these issues you're dealing with. You haven't really found this internal rest. Like We need to be reminded in the hope of Christ that we have rest in eternity. We can also have rest now. Matthew chapter 11 Beginning in verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's the words of Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16. Thus says the Lord. Listen to this. I love this passage. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You know, the world desperately needs rest for their souls. Did you know that? Like they're just searching for something. They're searching for that hope, they're searching for that peace, they're looking for that rest. And as believers, we've got this answer, we've got this truth, we've been given this rest. But I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews does. Pull verse 9 up again because there's a very specific word he gives here in verse 9. So then there remains a, what's the word, Sabbath rest for the people of God. Notice he doesn't say, therefore there remains a nap in the afternoon for the people of God. He doesn't say that. Although that would have been nice. There remains a nice vacation for the people of God. There, there remains a condo on the beach for the people of God, right? Then say that. He uses a very specific word here, Sabbath. And so I, I want to hone in on that just for a minute and think about it and make sure you understand what it means, right? Because to understand what it means, you got to kind of think through the Old Testament and understand what the writer of Hebrews was getting here, right? The, the, the word Sabbath very literally means a day of rest and worship so we would call sunday the sabbath for us this is the day that we worship this is the day we rest but it's modeled on something much deeper right it wasn't just the writer of hebrews idea it wasn't just some new testament writer just came up with it it's found really since the creation of the world that it was the lord's idea for us so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the, the end of that chapter, the Bible says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then the very next verse of chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, listen, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Right? God creates everything. It's good. He looks upon it. Six days of creation. Seventh day, God rested. Now, listen, God didn't rest because he was tired, right? God didn't need to sleep or nap or he was hungry. We we understand God in in his presence and in his power is all powerful. He doesn't need to rest like you and I do. And so when, when the Lord thinks of resting, and he talks about resting, it was so he could look back out upon his creation and see that it was good and see his glory. Right. So he rested in what he had created. Now remember, the writer of Hebrews, and we're going to make this connection here, this is important, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Jewish people. These Jewish people would have understood the idea of creation. They would have understood what God did. They would have understood the fourth commandment, which is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. And on and on the list goes the people that shouldn't work. And then verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now to the Jewish person, and this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to understand. To the Jewish person understanding Sabbath, it would have been more than just a day for them to take a nap. It would have been a day when they would have remembered that God created everything, that he was glorious. It would have been a day for them to remember all that God had done for them during the Exodus. And they would have ended up at this place saying, listen, because God is faithful, when we follow him, rest and freedom comes in living our lives for him. That's what the Sabbath became for them. So it was a time to rest, of course, physically, but much more so, it was a time to remember the goodness of the Lord. So there's a challenge for us on this Sabbath, every Sunday, and by the way, what what a gift God has given us to stop and to rest and to think. We're challenged with this truth. How much are we reflecting on his goodness during the Sabbath? How much are we reflecting on his glory during the Sabbath? This has just become a day for us to kind of show up at church because we, we're supposed to. It's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We've just always done this. We do it again, not really thinking about it, not really preparing our hearts for worship, not truly worshiping while we're here. And then we get home, and it's just a time to lay around and maybe watch some sporting event or whatever. And, and by the way, those things are good. There's nothing wrong with just laying around and relaxing. But are, are we really focusing on the truth of what the Sabbath means for us? Are are we truly resting in Christ? Are are we truly willing to give him everything? I want you to notice how he finishes up. We kind of wind this thing down. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore, there's that word again, right? Because there's rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. We should be walking in that direction that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God He's going to, Change gears here for a second. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We find rest in the eternal promises of the Lord we find rest here in his Sabbath once a week and then truth number three I want you to see this morning, we find rest in God's word we should find rest in God's word, now the Bible kind of describes the word of God here, so I want you to look at verse 12 again, pull verse 12 up and I want you to notice how the Bible is described for the word of God is, let's just start with the first two words, living and active now you probably already know this, but just in case you don't, you need to understand uh, the world is not being taught anymore that the Bible is living and active. What the world is being taught is that it's maybe a history book, uh, maybe it's okay for some sort of a world literature class, but it's ancient, it's antiquated, it's dusty, it's old, it has no meaning for your life today. That's basically what the world tells us. And so what happens is they shelve the Bible or they teach it in a literature class as if it's just some regular book like any other book that's been written in history. The problem with that is that's not what the Scripture teaches, first of all. The Bible teaches that it's living and it's active, right? It's constantly at work in us. The second real problem with that is we know from experience is that when we allow the Word of God to infiltrate our hearts and really kind of permeate who we are and resonate within our hearts and our minds, we begin to change, don't we? When it's active in us and when it's alive in us, we become different. We become changed. We begin to rest more and more on the Word of God. But here's the very interesting part about this. It's not easy because the very next thing it's used to describe, uh, to describe the Bible is a sword, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, right? The idea is that the Bible is not only living and active and molding and shaping us, it's like a sword, What's a sword used for? To cut things, right? The Bible is a sword in that it cuts from our hearts the sinfulness It cuts from our lives the dangerous things. It cuts away the the things that lead us in the wrong direction. right? So as the Bible works in us and is active within us and we find more and more rest in the Lord, it begins to cut away more and more a little at a time, piercing from the bad, taking away the bad, removing the bad. The problem is, if you don't already know this, that when you cut something like that, it's not very easy, is it? It's oftentimes painful. How many girls in here have gotten their ears pierced? Yeah, I've witnessed it. I've never had my ears pierced. Don't really plan on it. But I've witnessed it firsthand with my family, and it just seems to be pretty uncomfortable. I don't know how you would describe it. It's not necessarily uh, terribly painful, but it's not something that you would necessarily do just for fun every day, right? We understand that when something pierces us or cuts us, it doesn't feel good. And so for me... When I read God's word and I come across something that I realize I'm sinning in my life, this is something that needs to change. Like God has revealed to me his word and I'm realizing because of what I've read, there's something in my life that needs to change, that needs to be cut out. I usually get kind of frustrated at first about that. Like, you know, Lord, I got this, right? I don't don't really need to change this. It's pretty good. And oftentimes it's because maybe I like that sin and I don't want to change it. But the more I begin to understand and watch, the more I allow God's word to be living in my life, the more I allow God's word to be active in my life, the more I allow God's word to really cut away the bad and reveal the good, the more I allow those things to work in my life, the more rest I find in this and peace. It's a strange idea that when you cut and mold and shape, it brings peace, but it does. It absolutely does. And you know, we, can, we can talk about the, the, the Bible and, and, and why it's important and where it came from. And I love the history of the Bible. Right? I, I love that it was written over f- students 1,500 years, 40 different authors. But right? if I took 40 of y'all, put you in separate rooms and said, write a story for me, brought them back together, there'd be no theme of the stories. They'd be very different stories. Yet we find the authors of Scripture over 1,500 years weaving from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation this beautiful picture of redemption in Christ, really, from the very beginning. And I love the prophecies and the fulfilled prophecies. But maybe the thing I love the most about Scripture, and this is where it really hits home, is that no matter who wants to argue the history or argue the truth or whatever, and, and we can think about apologetics and, and, and the case for Christ, and all those things are good. Nobody can argue with you your story. Did you know that, what Christ has done for you? And nobody can argue with you about how you find peace in God's Word. Nobody. Nobody. And so I've been challenging you guys, and those of you that are new with us this morning or maybe haven't been in a while, I've been challenging our congregation as we walk through Hebrews. I've been challenging them with this idea of who's the one person in your life that needs to hear this. Right? I haven't challenged you to walk your entire neighborhood and go door to door. haven't challenged you to canvas the community. I haven't challenged you to stand up at work and, and share your faith. The Lord may be calling you to do those things fantastic. I'm simply asking you to do one simple thing. Pray about and pick the one person that needs to hear this truth. Pray about and pick the one person that needs to understand that Jesus is, in fact, greater. Right? Pick the one person. So I've been telling you, listen, we're going we're to ramp this up each week. We're going to challenge you a little bit more. The first several weeks I just talked about it. The last few weeks, I've been asking you to pray about that person. Either pray about who that person is, or if you already know who that person is, pray about how you can minister to that person. So I've, I've been kind of increasing and, and challenging you a little bit more. I'm going to go ahead and prepare you for next week, okay? Next week, I'm going to ask you to write down the name of this person. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not going to ask you to write down their full name and all their information. That's none of my business, and none of anybody else's business, who it is. I don't really want to know who it is. So maybe it's just a first name, uh, maybe it's just a couple of initials, maybe it's a nickname, whatever. It's just this visual symbol. We're going to put these things up for you to see them, by the way. It's a visual symbol that we've been praying about this. We're actively trying to figure out who this one person is, right? And we're leading to this place, we're going to get to this place, we're going to ask you to do something about this. We're going to ask you to begin this conversation or to have this chat at work or students, we're going to ask you to talk to that other student at the lunch table or, or wherever you may see him on the sports field or the band uh, field or wherever you may be, we're going to ask you to have a conversation with this person because, listen, we, we need to understand God has given us this beautiful picture of redemption. God, God has given us this beautiful picture of rest and of glory and, and of hope in him and those are the things the world is desperate for. Like there are thousands of self-help books to try to figure out how to find peace. Did you know that? There are thousands of self-help books to try to figure out how to find success, or to find hope or to find true love, right? And maybe there's some value in those books, but I'm just telling you, we've got the truth of who Christ is here, and it's given to us in His word. And the more we study it and the more we understand it, and the more we allow it to be active in our lives, the more we rest in His truth, right? There are lots and lots of great things in this world. Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. It's clear and compelling, Lord, and challenging. And Father, I thank you that within the busyness and the just kind of the crazy, hectic life that we live, you have built in for us a time of rest we find rest in salvation, Father in eternity, we find rest in your word, we find rest in the Sabbath, Father, thank you that you've built that in, help us to take that seriously, help us to find joy in those things help us, Father, to set aside all the things we worry about and the challenges of life and Father, help us to find true rest and true peace in you. Father, be with us right now in this time of invitation. Just speak to our hearts. Open up our minds to what you would have us to see and hear. May we respond to you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Our invitation is for you to come and pray. The altar is open. I'm happy to speak with you. But you respond as we sing together today.